and I'm in the moment there. And all of the other things that uh, are on my mind when I'm not taking pictures, you know, just (laughs) just whether I have to pay a bill or whether I have to get a car (laughs) fixed or all of that other stuff is just not there. It's gone. So the only thing that's there is me and the camera and and what's going on in front of me. And that makes me that makes me happy. So I think that that's where the love comes in. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, folks, today we are talking with a legend. We're talking with one of the heavyweights in our world. We're talking with Ave. That's right, just Ave Pildas, whose work is phenomenal, whose work is really at the heart of the things that I admire. There's jazz. There's the uh, the whole thing about ticket booths. There's the nudes. There's a sense of humor all the way through here. This is work that has been at the forefront of our world for decades now. If you look at his resume, you've, he was born in Cincinnati. He worked for Downbeat Magazine as one of his early jobs. His work's been in the contemporary art Center and the Photographer's Gallery in London and the Museum of Modern Art all over the place. Ave, how are you doing today? How, how is life out on the West Coast? It's, it's terrific. It's, uh, in fact, it's a hot day here today. And uh, I live in Santa Monica, which is supposed to be uh, cool and temperate, mm-hmm. but it's in, the, it's in the 80s today. And uh, generally, uh, you know, I'm 16 miles from downtown Los Angeles, and it's at least 10 degrees hotter there. Oh my! So, I have a, a a great space here in Los Angeles. It's a house and a studio with a nice cactus garden in the middle, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there are no complaints today. <laughs> well, I've been. I mean, as we're recording this, the Super Bowl is tomorrow, and, and they're already talking about it's going to be the warmest on record. So, enjoy the good weather. I hope it doesn't turn into danger weather too soon. No, uh, uh, you mean heavy rains or heavy fires? All of the above. Yes. Well, you can't live anywhere where there isn't some some problem. Yeah. So it's if it's floods or cold weather or cyclones or hurricanes, if you find a better place than where I live, let me know. <laughs> I will do it. Man, I, I, wa- I want to get right to the work here in just a second, but I'm reading your bio and, and I'm impressed as hell. You went to college and you studied architecture and you studied graphic design. And I'm reading along, it says, while attending college, you wind up being the art director for the public library system of Cincinnati. That's not a job a lot of college kids get. Tell, tell me about these early formative days. Tell me what drew you to architecture and tell me what drew you to design and, and then into art, art direction. Well, that it's it's pretty easy. Uh, you know, I was really interested in in photography and in sculpture when I was a, a kid. But my parents naturally they did they wanted me to be a doctor, but <laughs> because my dad was a doctor. But when I said, "Okay, let's," uh, I'm interested in photography. They said, "No, no, no. That's uh, that's not where you want to go. Why don't you become an architect?" <laughs> so, so uh, I enrolled in architecture school, uh-huh. and I found that very confining. And I really got uh, in my sophomore year got reamed out by my 
my professors because they asked they asked the, the project was to design a, a thousand foot bachelor pad and i did a, a hyperbolic paraboloid which they thought was uh, uh just beyond what i could do and it was <laughs> but that, that didn't sit well with me so uh, i wanted the uh, more freedom so i just switched over to uh, graphic graphic design and I can tell you the first part of my education was great because the school had 10 weeks on and 10 weeks at, at working someplace at the University of Cincinnati. I got to move uh, showcases around in a department store on paper. I got to, to uh, work for an architect building a house. I got to be a rod man on a road crew. And then, it, you know, it's every 10 weeks we changed. So that was that was really uh, uh, interesting part of that education. Now you were te- you you said that photography came before this. So t- tell me. Well, when I was we- interested in it, yeah. but I hadn't taken I hadn't really taken any pictures. The only pictures that I ever took were some eight millimeter pictures when my father handed me an eight millimeter camera. Oh, but okay. I wasn't. I never thought that I was going to become a, a photographer. It just interested me. So. But, uh, you know, when I, when I switched over from architecture to graphic design, I immediately, my grades went up, I got a scholarship, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I was, my professors were really impressed and I made friends with a, a really well-known graphic designer in, in Cincinnati uh, named Noel Martin. And uh, he just recommended that I, when there was an opening at the public library and there was a class that you could take a class and get credit for it, then uh, they said, oh, I would be perfect for that. So so I took that job and we ran everything on a little multi-lith press. I had a great time. And one of the perks was of the library is that it was right next door to a burlesque theater. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> okay that's a that's a perk yep that works <laughs> so so uh no i'm just kidding there it was next door to the burlesque theater but it didn't involve me but it was great and the people were great and you know it was very low-key there wasn't a lot of pressure on on things and and um mostly it was working with letter forms you know i mean it was uh and so i got very involved with the uh, typography there uh, that was a great job. After after that, and I wasn't really into photography at the time. I was taking pictures. I was I was taking pictures of of uh, jazz musicians and going to clubs. And it's interesting. I I gave some of the pictures to the musicians and to the clubs, and they liked them. Somehow they somebody gave a couple to uh, Downbeat. And and Downbeat contacted me and asked me if I wanted to be a stringer for for Downbeat. I I, I was going to ask how you got started because again you don't just walk up to Downbeat and say hey you know can, can I work for you? Tell tell me about going to these clubs. Tell me about taking pictures because I'm looking at them right now or I'm looking at the ones that you've got online and they are I mean they're all black and white they're phenomenal they're out of sort of the golden days of, of jazz and. I'm just impressed as I can be, but man, that that's a lot of sessions you were at. And how did you get so close? And how did you get these pictures to be so crisp? That's that's interesting, also because the 
the Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, and that uh, area in the Midwest was kind of halfway between New York and Chicago. So when the when the uh, players, when the musicians from New York uh, weren't working, they have to travel. They didn't get as far as the West Coast, so they did this circuit, and and some of them. Uh, if they lost their cards in, you know, their their uh, performance cards in New York, then they had to travel. So, so um, they did the Midwest Circuit. So the Midwest Circuit was always in small clubs. Very often, the stage was only two or three feet higher than uh, than uh, where people were either dancing or were sitting at tables drinking. And and there wasn't much lighting. There was a spotlight. Sometimes it moved. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes I had to wait until the musician got into the light. And I would I could get very close, three feet, two feet, some you know, just very close. And uh, I had uh, at that time a Pentax camera, but I had a, a a Zeiss lens that I had outfitted to that. Okay. And it was sharp. Yeah. And. Um, and I had a technique. I just the musicians were always moving. I was using Triax film that I really <laughs> pushed up to, you know, like uh, twenty four hundred, maybe maybe higher sometimes. And then I would just I would just wait. I would pre focus and wait until the musicians got into focus, not until I focused. Okay. When they got into focus, that's when I took the picture. What's strange is that at that time I was not familiar with any other people taking jazz pictures. You know, it just was not on my radar. After afterwards, when I saw how other people were taking jazz pictures, a lot of them were taking pictures in the dressing room and of conversations in much uh, more informal settings than what I was. But I was always interested in the performance pictures. So. Because there was not good light in the in these small clubs, the the photos were very sing lit singularly. So I, that became a style of mine. You know, it wasn't that I chose that; it was that that was that was what was available. Well, I mean, the lighting in performance venues, you know, is horrible all world, you know, all over the world. And yet, you've you've got these really crisp, dynamically lit deals. Folks, if, if you haven't had a chance, you need to go to the website right now, uh, avepildasjazz.com, and you'll see the gallery. There's Nancy Williams. There's, there's Jerry Mulligan, or Gary Mulligan, I should say, uh, Oscar Peterson, Nina Simone, Wayne Shorter. I mean, you just you go through this. Any name that you've got, Gene Krupa, as a drummer myself, I'm, I'm jealous that you got that one. But there's something more to these pictures than just technical um, ability. You have the ability to capture a moment in performance that really does seem to be a little bit louder, a little bit more present than what most people do. How do you approach performance photography? How do you wait for that moment that's just magic? That's a really good question. One of my early and everybody else's idols was was uh, Cartier-Bresson. And uh, after looking at his, his pictures, I, I realized that his technique was to kind of know what he wanted, you know, or p- where he was, pick the scene, knew what was surrounding, and wait for it to happen. At least that was my take on it. So mm-hmm. I employed that, you know, I just waited for it to happen. And uh, when it happened, 
you know, I have a quick trigger finger. Is it, but is it, was, the, is there an emotion that you were waiting for? What was there? I mean, cause obviously in your ears, you've got whatever they're playing. So you've got that kind of swelling of emotion thing going on, but the picture just of Coltrane, for example, that you've got on the first page of your gallery. I mean, th- that's a definitive picture. He's, he's doing something there more real and you've captured it than 99% of the people taking pictures of him ever found. Well, I was very, I was close there and, and also because of Photoshop, I can make the pictures better than, than I could when I was working in the darkroom. You use the same techniques. It's still dodging and burning and, and, and picking the, the parts that you want to stand out and lightening where you need to lighten them. And, and there's a little bit of editing in that he wasn't the, the uh, soprano sax there wasn't straight up and down in the original picture. Aha. So the so just uh, turning turning that picture slightly to the uh, I think it was uh, uh, moving from left to right just made it more dynamic. So that helped that picture. That's just basic cropping. That that that's not you know changing anything. And still the the expression on his face is is magnificent. What what appealed to you about jazz way back then? My mother twisted my arm to play the violin. I wasn't very good. I was more interested in sports. In in high school, I was uh, still interested in music, so I was playing the B-flat trumpet. I wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Later on, when I was photographing, and uh, and I knew a little bit about music, which made it easier for me to talk to the musicians. A number of a number of the musicians became friends of mine. So that was that was pretty interesting, and I got to know their families or ha- hang out with them. But there was a young phenom in in Pittsburgh named Eric Kloss, and he was fourteen at the time, and uh, he was uh, uh, blind. And uh, his father ran the Western Pennsylvania School for the for the blind, but he taught me to play the the alto saxophone over the telephone, <laughs> and so that's that was the practice sessions. The practice sessions were over the telephone, but he was great, and uh, he's still alive. He was younger than I was by ten years, and uh, he's not in good health at the moment. But he was ter- he was terrific. He he grew up with bebop, but he was into free jazz, and uh, that appealed to me also. I had a good education in in jazz. I just couldn't play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was all. Well, th- th- one of the one of the reasons I ask is that in a lot of your work, I mean, well beyond the jazz, there is some element of performance, of, of, of being sort of loud and public, whether it's the box offices or whether it's animals. Um, there's, there's a real kind of um, loving of being publicly present in, uh, in your work. So, I mean, l- let's talk about some of the other projects that you are famous for. Um, the, the collection of box offices, which is, is absolutely brilliant. Tell me where that idea came from. When I came to uh, California, I I noticed that the there are these uh, box offices standing out, you know, in front of the theaters, and they were like uh, like little uh, jewels, which is where the the title for that series comes, called Bijou, and they were just you know they welcomed the people in, you know, they were just gorgeous, 
they were really quite uh, beautiful. And I started taking uh, pictures of those. Uh, a guy who owned the, an antiquariat shop and was a small publisher and collector named Bill Daly saw them and said, oh, you know, Abe, let's do a collection of, uh, of pictures. And I can tell you that most of the things that I've done are at other people's requests, you know. Okay. The, uh, and, you know, they said, oh, I like these. Let's do this. So we made this, uh, these 25 copies of uh, box offices in a, in, a, in a box. They were in a box themselves. And uh-huh. uh, I think initially they, they were $500 for a box. And that was in 1976. I had taken the pictures before. But now, now if you can find a box, and I don't have any more, it's well over $5,000. So people who already have the boxes, if they, if they sell them, then I guess they'll profit. But uh, they're quite nice, and they're all silver gelatin prints, and they're really pretty good ones. So I took those pictures in black and white and in color. Oh, okay. So, okay. So I have them in color, which which I've shown a couple times, and they might be up on the on my website. But they've never really been uh, uh, published in in anything but uh, online. Yeah. Now I, I should point out if if people haven't seen them, which would be surprising, but in case um, you know th- these are all framed and composed exactly the same. Uh, th- these are the little sort of center box offices, not just a window, flat window in a wall. And they're, they're gorgeous. But why do, why do you think people have responded so enthusiastically to this collection? What, what is it about the shots? What is it about um, the box offices themselves that you think are appealing? Well, it could be, nost- it could be nostalgic and, and they're beautiful. You know, so I think people respond to beauty. And in fact, uh, in 2016 or 17, Chris Pilcher from Nizrali Press, who who is does really nice nice publishing, came to me and said, "Oh, I'd I'd like to uh, to publish a little book for our one series. And it's a really small book. It's maybe uh, five by eight or you know six by nine. And he picked out a different set of pictures than I had uh, picked before, uh, all of box offices. But all of the ones he picked out contained uh, ticket takers inside the box offices, mostly women, not all women. And all of the ones that I had uh, published before were devoid of of, uh, people. So it was a new take on it. And that was pretty nice, too. And those were... Very often, uh, other people find pictures that I've rejected. I find pictures that I've rejected, especially, especially if time has gone by and I rejected them because they didn't fit the, you know, the criteria that I had set up for myself when I was taking them, and uh, so so they just became, you know, just uh, photos that were in a file. Years later, after I looked at them again, I say, wow, look at this picture. And I had forgotten why I rejected it or even what the criteria was. And now I've got a whole new picture again. I, I love it. I love it when that happens. And this happened with your jazz pictures, too. Apparently, there were a bunch that you decided, you know, shouldn't be out there. And a little bit of time passes. And now everybody's digging those, too. Yes, it happens. 
You know, and, and God love the editors and the curators out there who can tell us, you know, w- when we've got our heads on straight and when we don't. Tell me about animal antics, because, I mean, I, I can see getting from the jazz to the box offices, and now you've just got this, you know, this other collection, this other famous collection about odd things going on with, with pets and, and other animals. Where did this come from? I mean, are you, are you just walking along one day and you say, that's interesting, or was there more intent than that? Uh, I think it starts with walking along and saying, that's interesting, <laughs> or traveling and saying, well, look what's going on here. And one of the things that, that I like is that if I see something and it looks unusual to me or it looks funny to me, I like to share that. You know, it's kind of like, hey, hey, people, look what I'm see- Look what I see. Isn't this, isn't this funny or isn't this uh, interesting? So it started like that. And the animal antics, they're not all, they're not all real animals, you know? And it's generally, it's a, it's a uh, study on uh, society's take on, on animals, not just uh, that they're pets. They're not, they're not all pets. There's very few pets, actually. They're mostly, you know, like, uh, Sometimes they're animals uh, in a butcher shop, or sometimes they're hanging, they're, you know, rabbits hanging upside down in a butcher shop, you know, and there are th- three rabbits, uh, I think, uh, as I remember, maybe a, bl- a black one or a black and white one and you know, two white ones or something. And then in the background, there are people, you know, standing in front of a meat counter. So, but they, but they, the rabbits themselves are nice and furry and, and, uh, pet looking but you know like uh, a side so that's that's an animal picture for me and it isn't a pet picture but it's an animal picture and then there are other uh, you know all these animal pictures like uh, uh, statues of trigger or somebody uh, there's a there's a picture that i ran across in in texas where a guy who owns a gas station went to alaska shot a polar bear Brought it back and put it in a glass case, in in uh, uh, with the air conditioner, so that uh, and showed it. Uh, you know, uh, he was using it as an attraction for people to stop and buy gas. But and and then there are all these advertisements. That, you know, the uh, advertising agencies use animals and for everything. So animals are a big part of our culture. We wear them. You know. You know, we we use them and use them in medicine. You know, they <laughs> so so they're all over the place. So I have now a forty year collection of animals. Uh, I'm just waiting for when I have a, a a big chunk of time to edit them out and see what I can do with them. Oh my! You can't tell me that giant brontosaurus isn't somebody's pet, though. Um. Yeah. No. <laughs> and if you can't take that one home, they have they have uh, you know like. Uh, uh, scale models of it at the at the uh, shop next to that brontosaurus. Oh, okay, okay, that that that's good to know. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. 
We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. You know, you, you say you're inspired by Nick Brandt, by Elliot, um, or Elliot Erwitt, by William Wegman, and, and I can see those influences there. But one of the things that I think is, is really defining about your work you find something curious and in the same breath, you say something funny. You know, you've got a great quote. You say, just drop me off somewhere, anywhere with a camera and I will find something to photograph. But a lot of people, you know, their, their sense of sarcasm comes up or their sense of anger comes up. And in your work, I really see a kind of love for the quirky, for the, um, you know, the way that humanity, you know, expresses itself slightly off kilter. Do, do you define yourself as a generous or, or as a loving photographer more than a social critic? I think I'm more loving when I have a camera in my hand than when I, when I don't. Really? Um, Why is yeah, that? I, oh, I, I rile about the, um, naturally, you know, like, uh, everybody who gets old says, Oh, it used to be better when it was only cost a dime. But, uh, you know, like naturally I'm upset about uh, my country. I'm really upset about my country. Now I don't, uh, I do show that sometimes when I'm taking pictures recently, uh, I think a couple of years ago, I took a, as one of a series, I took a, an American flag to skid row and hung it on a fence upside down and, and got people to stand in front of it while I took their picture. In fact, the, the first people who came along were, were two vets, and they asked me if I knew what that meant. And I said, uh, oh, yes, you know, look around. We're in trouble. And um, they said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to ask people to, be, to stand in front of it. And um, they said, well, can we be first? <laughs> so, so at that, and it was on the 4th of July, by the way. Oh, I okay. Did that on the okay. 4th, I did that on the 4th of July. Next person was a uh, a black woman who was wearing a uh, stars and stripe bikini, and she asked if I would take her picture, and uh, I gave her a bottle of water, you know, <laughs> okay. and because it was a hot day in July, and then she left. She disappeared. A few minutes later, she came back with a bullhorn, and said, uh, "Let him take your picture and get a bottle of water." <laughs> <laughs> and then I had a line almost around the block. And oh. uh, so so I was I was there, you know, just maybe 2 hours, maybe 2 hours and took I don't know 500 750 pictures. Some some were sequential. I made a little paper I made a little movie out of the stills and 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 set the music to uh, Kate Smith to God Bless America to it and just had the people uh, switching in and out, you know, of the frame. That's fantastic. And so you can see that on YouTube. Did anybody, did anybody want to punch you in the nose? No, no. I mean, I talked to people, and some people agreed, and, they, and some people would say, oh, you know, you have to do something. We need housing and things like that. But, but nobody wanted to punch me in the nose. I mean, there have been occasions when I've been taking pictures where people didn't want me to take the picture. There's been a few times when people say, I want your camera, I want those pictures, and I have to say, uh, well, look, it's not going to end there. <laughs> and and uh, 
you know, I think that you you develop some street smarts, so you you know um, you can pretty much uh, change people's focus. You know, uh, when they're if they get really upset, then you know you have to find a way to get them off of that and onto something else. Or you say, "I didn't take your picture," and let me see. And most of the time, I I say, "Look, here's my card." Send me an email. Tell me what you were wearing, and I'll send you the picture. And uh, very often I do that. And and if it's a place that I'm going back to often, and I know that that person is a regular there, then I make a print, and I know that I'll see them again. And I carry it in my bag, and and I see them, and I give them uh, the print. And then I wouldn't say we be- become fast friends. But uh, they're appreciative of that, and then uh, subsequently, if I see them, they'll say hello, or they'll bring somebody over to me and say, "Oh, my friend uh, wants you to take their picture." You know, so you know that that's one of the real benefits of, of the digital age is is that you know if we're doing street work, we can show somebody right away or very easily get them uh, a, a print. That would have been impossible, of course, back in the Triax days. Um, right, but I, I want to go back to to that you know the, the beginning of, of this. And when you say you're more loving with a camera in your hand, what is it about the camera that changes your attitude towards the world? Well, I feel I, well. I certainly feel protected, and I and I also uh, feel empowered. You know that this is something. It's a it's a tool. The other thing is is that I love what I do, and I'm in the moment there. And all of the other things that uh, are on my mind when I'm not taking pictures, you know, just the, <laughs> just whether I have to pay a bill or whether I have to get a car <laughs> fixed or all of that other stuff is just not there. It's gone. So the only thing that's there is me and the camera and, and what's going on in front of me. And that makes me, that makes me happy. So I think that that's where the love comes in. When I don't have that, you know, then I have to, then I might fret or I might not sleep or, you know, like I might be pissed off at something. To get rid of that, I just say, okay, tomorrow is going to be a camera day. Oh, very cool. I am looking at the breadth of your work. And and I don't know any other photographer whose work encompasses such a broad range of subjects, such a broad range of destinations, you know, the, the travel work. How do you describe to yourself your own interests and your own style? Well, I'm, I'm certainly curious about everything, you know, and it doesn't matter whether I have a camera or, or not, you know. I think when I'm on the, the street and I didn't start out to be a street photographer, I'm noticing everything and it's a, it's a real education that you get, you know, how people are going to move, you know, which people are a little bit off, which people are going to be dangerous, which people are going to respond to you. So you, you get to, you get to know what's going to happen. So you can anticipate, you can anticipate that. So that's the, the street photography part. The other part is that you know when I when I uh, went to the graduate school in Switzerland, every time there was a school holiday, I would travel someplace. I had a Volkswagen uh, a van that was a camper, so I started to and I've been to every country in in Europe and and at the time uh, 
uh, Eastern Europe before the wall came down. So I, I got the travel bug. And the travel bug allows you to see so many different cultures, so many different architectural uh, things, so many archaeological things. I mean, it just opens the, the world for you. And being curious, I say, oh, well, what was going on 2,000 years ago in Mexico? Or what was going on 100 years ago in France? Or, you know, it was, it's just uh, wonderful to, to travel. It it's is. Wonderful. I, it, what, what I find remarkable, I mean, looking through all your stuff here, if you look at your gallery, and this is on, this is on your website, everybody, uh, again, avepildos.com, you have a, a series from Turkey, and those are all candidates. They're all, you know, street shots in motion. Sitting relatively close to it, you've got Brazil 2020, which is a gallery of, you know, portraits uh, where you've asked everybody to stop and be still. Um, completely different approaches. And yet, I mean, you know, there, there's still that real curiosity in there. Is, is this spur of the moment? you know, decisions that you've simply decided, hey, you know, portraits are how I'm going to do Brazil or how much preparation goes into the art direction to the art, you know, the, the pre-thinking of the idea. If there's a, if there's a place that, um, that I was read about and I was particularly interested in, I might say, oh, I'm, I'm going to uh, go to that place and take pictures. But if I haven't planned or I couldn't get there, like for instance, uh, there was a series in Istanbul that I did we went to Istanbul, and uh, I wanted to go to Cappadocia to see the the architecture that was built out of out of clay in the very famous uh, archaeological site and architecture, uh, strange architecture. Couldn't get there because um, when we arrived, they set a bomb off in in Istanbul, and then they closed the airport, so we couldn't go. So we were stuck in Istanbul for. For two weeks, Istanbul is an incredible city. It has lots of great churches and temples, and so that that became. I was interested in that architecture, and then there was a a, a wall that was a construction wall that it had posters tacked up on it, thousands and thousands. They were all cleaned off so that there were just remnants. So that just became a background for. A pedestrian traffic piece because I I do sequence photography too because I'm I'm interested in that and I didn't have a tripod I just stood there on the corner while my wife was somewhere else you know uh, looking at something and 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 stood there for I don't know half an hour at the time at a time and then I would come back about the same time the next day because the light changes uh, a lot in in a half an hour. And uh, took some more pictures. After that, I go back. When I got back home, I look at all the pictures and I edit out a sequence of those people going past the lens. The background doesn't change, you know. Then I then I try and make something that that shows what's going on. Are the people coming closer to the lens? Are they just walking back and forth? And they also look mysterious because they're. The, the women are wearing hijab, um, hijabs, and the the men are all wearing, uh, and it was winter time, and uh, so the men are always wearing dark clothing. It's not the same as if you're photographing, you know, on the west coast of of uh, 
of America here in California where everybody is buff and trying to, you know, wear bright colors, <laughs> uh -huh. you know? So very different. So for me, it's just a new, something new to look at and then do something with. For me, the camera is a, is a tool. It isn't, it isn't to take just one type of, of pictures. I, I mean, I was lucky I had a good education. I, I was a painter for a while after I had a bad motorcycle accident in the 70s and couldn't go out and do anything. So I just stayed at home and painted. So, you know, the, I think that you, you take the tool that you have at your hand, you know, close by and you make something. Absolutely. You know? Yes, absolutely. Are, are some of your series discovered after you've got a, like a critical mass of pictures and you say, hey, I happen to have taken 40 pictures of, you know, church spires or, you know, you know, God's house. We'll talk about that one. Did you set out to do that as a project or did that just occur to you when you looked and said, hey, I got a bunch of these? Well, the answer to those is yes and yes. <laughs> the early on that was... Uh, I was interested in series, and I think that when you start taking pictures, you're attracted to the same things all the time. So I was attracted to uh, churches, and and on the God's House series, that was a sort of a failed series. Not that the pictures were failed or that they were bad, but there was nobody who was interested in publishing those. I still go to uh, to churches because I'm interested in how different each religion is and how same each religion is so and how marvelous the, the these edifices to religion are so i i go to i go to churches now and i photograph them but not with the thought of of making a project now because there have been a lot of books about churches or about religion and uh it seems like whenever i show those to people they say, oh, well, there, there is a, a project that's already been done like that. So I do that now just for myself, you know, because I like the, like the paintings or I like the architecture. But it started out that I wanted to do something about how different religion was in America. Because, you know, in most other countries, they have a dominant religion or there is only one religion, you know. And in this country... There are a gazillion kinds. I still want to go to uh, to Kentucky and Tennessee, where where the people are, you know, like uh, in church with uh, poisonous snakes, you know, and dancing <laughs> with uh, poisonous snakes. And uh, that's a different uh, take on religion. But I don't know whether I'm going to get to do that. It's on my bucket list. Okay. Okay. Um, tell me about Pixfix. Oh, Pixfix. <laughs> it's um. <laughs> Pix fix is, you know, because I've never been a drug addict. Okay. You know, my, my fix, my fix is, uh, um, pictures. Right. So, so the fix is to have a good picture every week and to put it up on constant contact. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just send it out. I have a list of, uh, 500 people who get my picture every week. And, uh, I think that, um, now, and it varies about how many people open it and actually look at it. So uh, currently it's running uh, about 58 or sometimes 60%. Uh -huh. But there have been times when it's dropped down to 40%. So only 40%, you know, 200 people mm -hmm. open the picture and look at it. I mean, it, I keep track of the analytics because they're offered to me. 
but it's not uh, why I put the pictures up. But you, you've been doing this for 12 years now. I know. Um, I used to think that, uh, that, uh, I was their <laughs> constant contacts, best customer. And then I realized <laughs> that I'm just a drop in the bucket. <laughs> Well, man, I mean, th- th- these are fantastic pictures. You, you scroll through them and hours can go by. Everyone is different. Everyone is, is you know, has that sense of generosity and curiosity and enthusiasm to them. There's black and white. There's color. There's double exposures. There's portraits. There's candid street stuff. It's just, it, it's the kind of stuff that for me, you know, as a photographer myself, I find inspiring. Um, it's like, you know, come on, get up, get, go, go do good work. Good work's possible every single day. Tell me what else you're working on now. Well, first of all, thanks for the props here. That's uh, that's nice to hear. That always makes me uh, feel good, and and I feel blessed that I love what I do. You know, and um, uh, there's two things that that I'm working. Oh, there's a lot of things I'm working on, but the two things that are occupying my time now is that I have a new book coming out called Starstruck. Oh, cool! And Starstruck in you know, it's all scanned and everything, and, and uh, you know, they have a foreword written for it. It's, it's published by Deadbeat Club Press, and they do uh, high-quality photo books. Uh, the pictures are 50 years old, and it's called Starstruck. They're pictures about Hollywood Boulevard. Most of those pictures went to sleep for 40 or 50 years, and now, now there's going to be a new book. So I'm thrilled about that. It's supposed to it's supposed to drop probably in uh, April, I think, or late March, April. And so I'm excited about that. The other thing is that for the past five years, Patrick Tulaire, who is a French American uh, director, called me up uh, five or five and a half years ago and says, "Abe, this is Patrick. Do you remember me?" And I, I said, oh, yeah, Patrick, I do. He had taken a, a class of mine at Art Center about composition. And then he, d- he just went on to say, you know, I've been following your pictures for the last 40 years. And I said, oh, Patrick. <laughs> and he said, I want to I I do a documentary. I said, maybe you should uh, uh, rethink that, Patrick. And he convinced me. And I was, uh, you know, like uh, I was hesitant at first. But then... He got a small crew, a small crew, and they followed uh, me around for, I guess, uh, three and a half years. And then it's been in in editing and production for the last year and a half, and it's now just out of post production. And Netflix France is interested in it. Oh, very cool! And another uh, ex student of mine. I called up and I asked him, Ray Sanchez. I said, Ray, do you want to do a poster and do some uh, post uh, stuff for this uh, uh, documentary? And he said, yeah, he did a really great job. So I, I'm hoping that that gets uh, – it's not made for theaters. It's made for for uh, streaming or TV. I hope that, that uh, somebody picks that up this year. It's called Abe's America. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm – uh, Got to tell you that I'm not a fan of the title, but uh, Patrick is a fan of the title, and uh, it's his movie, and uh, I'm just an actor. I'm just an actor in that. And aside from that, during the pandemic, I haven't been out on the street as as much. You know, it's uh, 
you know, I just uh, protect my my health and also people are upset on the street now. So I've been working in the studio on a series of pictures called Circles, Squares, and Triangles. And they're all photographs that, uh, and there may be some up on the, on the website. And it's evolved itself. So the ones that I'm working on today are a deal with uh, uh, square, pe square pegs and round holes and round holes and square pegs. And because those are still uh, geometric shapes and, and they're both uh, circles and squares. I haven't fit the triangle into that, that part of the series yet. But I think trying to show, and some of them uh, show motion. They're all studio pictures shot in the studio. And it's all about trying to get a, and there may be some little movies about that. They're more esoteric. They're, they're funny, but um, not everybody's cup of tea. Okay. Oh, well, the ones, the ones that I've seen um, are absolutely compelling. I enjoy every single one. Man, what, what a career from, you know, starting off in, in college to PixFix of, of just this year. You have covered just about everything. And once again, I am in awe of, of the, the simple generosity that you bring to an extraordinary talent. Thank you, sir. This has been a magnificent conversation. Yes. Well, if you live long enough, you get to do a lot of things. <laughs> this is true. This is very true. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's been a pleasure, really. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.